is Jeremiah 32, 1 through 3, and 6 through 15. Jeremiah buys a field during the siege. I want to say right now that I know my uh, pronunciations aren't going to be correct, so please forgive me. I had always asked Bill if I was to do the reading to give me something easy. Well, I'm hoping Bill will help me today. Thank you. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of King Zedekiah of Judah, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. And at the time, the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem, and the prophet Jeremiah was confined in the court of the guard that was in the palace of the king of Judah, where King Zedekiah of Judah had confined him. Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me. Hanamiel, son of your uncle Shalom, is going to come to you and say, Buy my field that is at Anathoth, and for the right of redemption by purchase is yours. Then my cousin Hanamiel came to me in the court of the guard, in accordance with the word of the Lord, and said to me, Buy my field that is in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, for the right of possession and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. And I bought the field at Anathoth from my cousin Hanamiel and weighed out the money to him, 17 shekels of silver. I signed the deed, sealed it, got witnesses, and weighed the money on scales. Then I took the sealed deed of purchase containing the terms and conditions and the open copy, and I gave the deed of purchase to Baruch, son of Nera, son of Mahishia, <laughs> in the presence of my cousin Hanamel, in the presence of the witnesses who signed the deed of purchase, and in the presence of all the Judeas who were sitting in the court of the guard. In their presence, I was charged, Baruch, saying, Thus say the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both the sealed deed of purchase and this open deed, and put them in the earthenware jar in order that they may last for a long time. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You got the name Benjamin right. <laughs> but I'll tell you, God, God bless you for trying. There were some hard ones in there. And, and you don't quite know what to do with that. These names are unfamiliar. Benjamin? Yeah, we know that. Stephen? Spelled with a P-H? Step in? That's how future generations may say it if they don't have any Stevens around. We don't have, when was the last time you met someone named Hanamel? You don't know what to do with it. I'm not wearing a stole today. 
Maybe some of y'all noticed. I knew Sissy did. First thing I walk out of here, where was your stall? If I had a key to your office, I would have gone in there and gotten it for you. Now, she knew what to do with that. But some of y'all looked and said, that's strange. I, I wonder why not. I, I don't quite understand what's going on. Well, I'm going to share with you a time in my life where I didn't know what God was doing. I didn't understand what was going on. Y'all ever been there? And those are difficult days, and you do not know what to do. Uh, we're going to do it through Hanamel and Jeremiah and Nebuchadnezzar and all those other folks that we took classes in learning names. Okay, we didn't, but it seemed like it. And they... <laughs> Go ahead. They, they don't know how to say them either. No one here was old enough to remember those names, okay? And we're going to hear this story where Jeremiah had to be wondering what's going on. In this case, God eventually tells Jeremiah. But for a while, what, what am I supposed to do with this? We're grateful that you walk with us. We're grateful that we don't have to understand your ways to be your faithful people. Grant us your presence with us in this message and in the doing of it. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a huge revelation for you this morning. Churches are not always easy to serve. I have another revelation for you today. Pastors are not always easy to raise. And believe me, churches do raise pastors. When I was fresh out of seminary, they gave me three churches to serve. I guess they need, I needed three times the practice than everybody else. But those churches were so supportive and so helpful. But I had nothing to compare them to. It didn't take me long in ministry to realize what a blessing those three churches were to me. And how they raised me, influenced me, sharpened me in my first three years of serving God full-time in the pulpit and in the pastoral ministry. There is a well-known saying among pastors and some clergy. There are church-killing pastors. There are pastors out there by their attitudes and words and lack of compassion can kill churches, just destroy the spirit of a place. But likewise, there are also church-killing, uh, I'm sorry, 
there are also pastor-killing churches, pastors that kill churches. There are church-killing pastors, but there's also pastor-killing churches where churches can do irreparable harm to pastors. I heard one DS say, I'm not even going to assign a pastor to you. Until you get your act together, you have hurt the last three pastors that served this church. They're no longer in ministry, and you are the reason. That is a pastor-killing church. And the thing is, you don't want to be known as either one of those things. I encountered my first pastor-killing church later in my ministry, actually. Sissy and I did everything we knew to do, but we could do nothing right at that place. I, I don't know about me, but I do know that Sisley, Sissy is awfully hard not to love. But even there, we ran into that struggle and into that pain, both of us. I asked the children's choir to sing on Mother's Day. I was accused of using the children to get a bigger offering on a special day. I've told you that. There are so many stories that we could tell from this one place. The thing, this is the church where things got so bad at the end that when we found out we were moving, Sissy attended a United Methodist Church in town for the last six months we were there. And she did it with the DS's approval. That's how bad things got. And things never got better. And I prayed very Deep, very hard, very honest. In, in some, some, some cases, it was very primitive prayer where I was just groaning before the Lord. And I was saying those things you might expect me to say. What are you trying to teach me, God? Don't ever waste your time with, why me, Lord? Why is this going on? that's not going to help you even if you had the answers. And God, I don't know anyone God's ever answered why. I don't have to tell you why I'm God and you're not. But I will tell you this. I'm trying to teach you something, so ask the right question. What am I trying to teach you? So even in my prayer life, I was trying to do everything right that I had been taught to do through years and years of Sunday school, of going to church only so I could go somewhere else the rest of the day. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all did that too. What am I doing wrong? What more can we do? And you know what God's answer was? Silence. 
absolute silence. Nothing. Not a word from God. Have you ever had that experience when God is so silent? Well, eventually we moved, and what a church we could do no wrong. Every idea we had for ministry was praised and fully supported and appreciated. They expanded their witness and their outreach. They walked into the community in new ways, not to make church members, but to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Uh, there was new life and new people. And it took me a while, but I finally figured out what God was doing with me. There were questions I needed to ask myself at that time in my journey as a pastor. Will you love my people, Steve, even when they're not loving you back? Are you doing this for my happiness? Or are you doing this for your happiness? Are you going to remain faithful even, especially when I am silent? Those are all tremendously important questions. You see what was going on here? I wanted God to show me my path for miles to come. I wanted that journey planned out. Al was talking about his GPS. He was actually talking about Mike's GPS, wasn't he, Karen? Yeah. And, and you want that whole path laid out, and you got it. You follow that purple line, and you're going to get where you're supposed to go. I wanted that. I wanted it planned out. Instead, I had to keep walking, not knowing where I was going or even if I would survive this trip. Jeremiah was in a very similar, sim similar situation. The people had turned against him. He preached the message that God told him to preach. You have turned your back on me. All you know is sin. You no longer call upon my name. Your destruction will be upon you, and you will be captive in a foreign land. Not a way to win friends and influence people. Not a popular message at all. In fact, it was so bad that Jeremiah was arrested. And then God told Jeremiah to do the strangest thing. Buy your cousin's land. Yes, that land that will soon be owned by the Babylonians. 
Do you get what's going on here? The most powerful army in the world at the time was literally at the city gates already. War could break out at any second. And God tells Jeremiah to buy land in a war zone. Land that will no longer be owned by any of God's people once that war breaks out. Now, Jeremiah was not a rich man. And now God tells him to buy land he does not want and would never use with the few coins he had left but was not eager to spend. What a deal, like trying to sell oceanfront property right before the hurricane hits. It was hardly the time to be making investments. People were not planning for their retirement. People were not even planning for next week. They did not know if they would still be alive next week. And now God tells Jeremiah to buy land. It had to be one of the strangest and worst business deals in the history of the world. Do you think Jeremiah had to be wondering, what's going on, Lord? What are you trying to teach me? What am I supposed to do with this? But Jeremiah walked with a crazy obedience. Even crazier than this bad deal was Jeremiah's obedience to God. To God. Let me ask you something. When was the last time you did something only because you knew our Lord was telling you to do it. It amazes me how many Christians cannot answer that question. It amazes me how many Christians don't consider that obeying God should be the heart, the reason for living every day of our lives. Listening for the Holy Spirit always. Isn't not listening to God, not following the Holy Spirit, isn't that the very definition of unfaithful living? But even though God's people had given their worship to false idols, even though they had trusted enemies more than God, even though they have abandoned God in so many ways, God still refuses to abandon them. And when the hours and days are darkest, 
God tells Jeremiah, invest in the, pu- pe- invest in the future, my people's future. And even though Jeremiah had cried out a message of doom and gloom, of punishment, of destruction, Jeremiah's actions, his actions spoke louder than words. The future, though it seems dark, though the enemy is right at your gate, That future still belongs to God. What a message. And all because Jeremiah lived with a radical obedience to God. You know, we who listen and follow the Holy Spirit are often called upon to do things the world considers foolish. We may be called upon to become foster parents after our own children are raised and gone. We may be asked to minister to homeless people during their last days on earth. We may be called upon to love people even when they refuse to love us in return. Or hardest of all, God might tell us to serve on a church committee. What will you do then? How crazy is your obedience? Amen.